Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. Have we gotten to this point where people wake up every morning looking for something to be offended about? I live in this place called the real world, and I understand what is going to happen. Her story is, I was trying to scare him away. At the same time, she shot him point blank in the face. Okay, that's not exactly a warning shot. The Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. Coming up next, Squirrel. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. So very glad to have you with us. A lot of stuff going on in the program today. A lot of stuff going on here at WTMJ. A couple quick reminders. This evening, I'm uh, helping out again one of my very favorite charities, the Boys and Girls Club of Washington County. This will be, I think, the third year in a row that I will be up at the Taste of Washington County, which is this big event at the Washington County Fairgrounds where you, you, you buy tickets and they have all a number of restaurants that offer you know food for people. And um, they've got door prizes, they've got raffle items, they've got things that you can bid on. And this year, like the last couple of years, I've been I've been schlepping ribs for one of the area restaurants. Uh, not this year. This year, I'm I'm selling high end bourbon, all for charity. So if you happen to be attending the Taste of Washington County, and they draw hundreds and hundreds of people, um, stop on by. Won't be tough to find me. I'll be towards the back with all the bourbon and uh, make a contribution. Again, the Boys and Girls Club of Washington County is the charity. I have a couple of very dear friends who are very involved in the Boys and Girls Clubs, and um, this is kind of my way of giving back and saying thank you to them. Tomorrow night is, of course, our WTMJ holiday show. Looking forward to seeing a lot of people there. And then on Friday, we take the program on the road. We are once again going to be coming to you live from VMP Manor Park on the south side. It's our Kids to Kids Christmas event. Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas Toy Drive. Holiday season is here. We need your help to make a difference in our community. Stop off, drop off a toy. Again, I will be there, and I know John McCure will be there as well. So we'll be there for about six hours on Friday afternoon. Uh, the folks at VMP always do a tremendous job. They set up this kind of winter wonderland, and it's always a lot of fun, and that will be on Friday. So a lot of activity. All right, there's a lot of different things that we're going to discuss, some national, some local. Just, I, I think, some that just kind of interest me. And uh, the story I want to, as we lead into this, the story I want to start with is a story from the world of sports, of all things, last night. Uh, James Harden is a very, very good basketball player for the Houston Rockets. A lot of people thought that he should have won the MVP award last year instead of Giannis. He's the guy, if you've ever watched like the sports shows, he's got the big, bushy beard. But he's an incredibly prolific scorer. Great basketball player. Some people fault him for not playing defense. I don't know about that. He's just, he's just a great basketball player. So here's what happens. Last night... The team Harden plays for, the Houston Rockets, are playing at San Antonio. They're playing the San Antonio Spurs. The Houston Rockets are way ahead with about eight minutes left in the fourth quarter. Matter of fact, they're leading by 13 points, 102 to 89. All right, eight minutes left. What happens is some guy from San Antonio is bringing up the ball. Harden steals the ball at midcourt. 
and goes in for what appears to be an uncontested dunk. So he's going to the basket. He goes to dunk the ball, and he does it really fast and really, really hard. And the ball, at least when you first look at it, the ball appears to bounce out. You know, sometimes you see these NBA players, and they go, or the college players too, they go up, and the ball, they go to dunk it, and they miss the dunk, and the ball hits the rim and goes bouncing off. Well, if you just look at it with the naked eye, this all happens in just a, a split second. It, the, the ball doesn't go through, it doesn't appear like it went through the net and hit the, the ground. It, it comes back out and, and goes flying away. The officials rule that, okay, it was a missed shot, so they don't count it, all right? Well, then an argument ensues, and the Houston Rockets take a timeout, and they're arguing during the, the the intermission, the break, that, hey, that ball went through, you know, it should count, et cetera. The officials are saying, no, no, no. Houston has the ability this year, NBA coaches have the ability to make a challenge, but they don't make a challenge in a timely fashion. Apparently, you've got 30 seconds to do it. If you don't do it within 30 seconds, you, you lose your ability to. All right, so that's it. If you go to the replays, Gru, did you happen to see this replay? Yeah, you know, yeah, I saw it. It's, it's just, it's a bizarre sort of thing. Because what, what actually happens is he goes up, he dunks the ball. The ball goes through, it goes, it goes into the net, and then somehow gets kind of caught up in the net and, and bounces back. Um, it should. Bottom line is, it should have counted as a basket, but it all happened in in this instant, and it's such a freak play that that you know nobody's seen anything like this. I mean, it's it's not. He didn't miss the dunk. It's just it's very difficult to explain, other than the fact that the ball gets gets caught up at the base of the net, and something weird happens, and it just comes flying out. But it should have counted as as a basket. Yeah, it kind of throws it down and it hits the netting and it rolls up through the netting. But it almost looks like when it rolls back up, it's going to go back into right, the hoop. Right. But it, I mean, if, if you just look at it in with the naked eye, you could see where somebody said, okay, he, he missed the dunk. But that's not what happened. It was just, it's this really, really freaky play. Anyhow, Houston doesn't challenge this in a timely fashion. So the game proceeds. Now, keep in mind, at this point in time in the game, Houston was leading by 13 points. All right, so you figure, what difference does it make? Well, it ends up making a big difference because San Antonio stages a comeback. They tie the game. The game goes into overtime, and ultimately, San Antonio goes on to win by two points. But all everybody's talking about is this play that happened with eight minutes left in the game. The referees look at this after the game, and they come out with a statement saying, we missed this. It it, it should have it should have been two points, all right? Should have been two points, etc. Houston has now protested this to the NBA, and they're saying, hey, look, this decision, obviously wrong, cost us the game. And what should happen is one of two things. This is what they're arguing. Either we should win the game, the game should be awarded to us, because if that two points had counted, it wouldn't have gone into overtime in the first place. We would have had two more points at the end of regulation. We should have won. Alternatively, they say what should happen is that the game should be replayed starting at that moment where they blew the call. So with seven minutes and 49 seconds left in the game, 
They should be, Houston should be credited with the two points that they weren't credited with, and then the game should be restarted. And they say, hey, you know, Houston and San Antonio, they next play each other in a couple weeks. That's what we should do. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Does Houston have a point? Is this how these matters should be resolved? The officials acknowledge they got it wrong. They acknowledge they got it wrong. They acknowledge that Houston got Rogered out of two points. All right. They should have had that two points. Do we say, all right, this affected arguably the outcome of the game? So do Houston, should Houston be entitled to win the game? Or do you go back and you say, okay, we're going to replay it from the 7-minute and 49-second mark? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, the argument would be, if you want to get stuff right, they got it wrong. All right, should we try to make it right? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My reaction is, uh, sorry, that's what we kind of call the rub of the green in the game of golf. But what do you think? They clearly got it wrong. Houston went on to lose the game. Should we try to make this right? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 414-799-1620. And, and for what it's worth, there is precedent for the NBA ordering games to be replayed. About uh, 11 years ago, 2008, Miami was playing Atlanta. And what happened is with 52 seconds left in the game, um, they Shaquille O'Neal, who played for Miami at the time, the, the official score, they called a foul on O'Neal, and they, they said, okay, you've now fouled out. Well, as it turned out, they had the count wrong. O'Neal only had five fouls instead of six. Um, and so he had to leave. So the NBA, what they did is they said, okay, we're, we're going to order the last minute of the game replayed. And they did that the next time the teams met. Interestingly enough, O'Neal had, was no longer with Miami by the time it happened, but there is precedent. All right. Is this the type of thing that you want to see happen in sports? Let's start with Chrissy in Milwaukee. Hi, Chrissy. You're in WTMJ. Hi, I played competitive sports um, most of my life, and including basketball. And the beauty of the challenge that that is such a huge benefit these teams get, they did not use the challenge, and that's, that's their loss. You cannot go back, because even if they would have made that, the count of that basket, everything with basketball, the flow of basketball, the way uh, everything could change. So if you don't do it right away, you can't go back. I mean, what about in, in Major League Baseball when, the, when a ref sees that he made a bad call? What are you going to do, go back in the middle of that game and then finish the game a different day? You, it's human error. Those refs do the best they can, and according to where they're standing on the court, how they see it, just like when we see it, and then we watch it in replay and go, oh, yeah. Right. You know, you can't go back. Well, I see, I, I agree, because it, you're, to your point, it, it does open up this huge can of worms. To me, if you want to find fault, yes, the, the officials missed it, but they've got these rules. This year, they allow the coaches to have a challenge. And for whatever reasons, Houston did not make a challenge in a timely fashion. They have 30 seconds to do it. They could have demanded the review. The officials could have gone back and looked at it. But once you, you, you pass that up, I, I you know, they're going to get it wrong from time to time. That's just yeah, the reality you know, of it. At the time. 
nine, you said they were up by 13. Well, they're probably thinking, oh, no big deal. We're yeah. up by 13. And then all of a sudden they lose by two and they want that basket back. Well, it's too bad. <laughs> they could be up by 30 and still end up losing. Right. And, and who knows if they would have made that basket if all of a sudden anything else, you know, the change, it could change well, things. Well, yeah. See, and this happens in football all the time. Okay. Well, you've got the instant replay too, but you've got a limited number of coaches challenges. So there's plays all the time in a football game where the coach, for whatever reasons decides it it's not worth it okay it's it's just it's a 4 yard pass in the first quarter i think the officials got it wrong but it's close i don't want to throw the challenge flag because even if i win it's not going to be that big a deal well okay now are you going to go back and say okay even if you sit on your rights or or even if you're out of challenges and they get it wrong i mean getting it wrong is just part of the game from time to time and there's always going to be a couple bad calls either way in games there's nothing you can do about that they do the best they can but you cannot go back and say oh i want the game played from this point because we should have got it well they weren't worried when they were 13 points up they weren't worried about it right i mean right and if you want to blame somebody it's they blew the 13 point lead now thanks for the call 414-799-1620 by the way i'm one of these guys that believe that if you have the technology there's nothing wrong with taking advantage of it. I mean, if you, you want to try to get it right, I, I support the replays in baseball. I support the replays in football. I mean, the, the games, I, I think the athletes have gotten so big and so strong and so fast that I, I think in some respects the game is, is sort of bypassing the officials. You want to get it right, in my opinion, as long as you can do that without unnecessarily delaying the game. These things where it takes four or five minutes and they're trying to micromanage things, I, I think you got to figure out a better way to do it. But in this particular case, they could have appealed. They didn't. They sat on it. Yes, it's a bad call, but you got to live with it, don't you? Ed in Waukesha. Ed, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, I just wanted to say that uh, no, I agree with you 100%. I, I, matter of fact, I was going to use the you beat me to the can of water. Oh, okay. um, that was, uh, I think that there are, there are going to be blown calls or what they feel are bad calls in any game. And if you start going back and reviewing all the games and trying to get things changed, if this call wasn't correct or this call wasn't correct, we could end up with uh, having to play every, you know, right. half the games twice. Right. And uh, it's, it's just kind of it's ridiculous. It's, it's, it's part of the game. They lost. They lost. Now, I think there are – see, I think there is a place, for example, for protests. Somebody – for example, somebody sent me a note talking about how, um, you know, back – Back in the day, when he was 12 years old, you know, they, they played for this Little League All-Star team, and it turned out afterwards the other team that they lost to had some kid who was 14 or 15, you know, playing in violation of the rules. To me, that's different than a judgment call. I mean, to me, that's, you know, if it's a rules violation and you're playing with an ineligible player, well, maybe that's a basis for, that, that's arguably a basis for forfeiting the game. But that's not what happened here. This is, the officials just missed the call. Yeah. No, thanks for calling. I mean, so I mean, I'm not saying that, again, I guess if there is a rule interpretation or an ineligible player that gets used, I I understand that there's a role for for maybe coming in and and forfeiting or replaying. But if if you're going to do it every time, hey, the guy traveled with the ball and they didn't call it or the the play, you know, they got the out of bounds call the wrong way. Well, you're you're never going to have any finality into games. Let's talk to uh, Troy in Wauwatosa. Troy, you're on WTMJ. Hey, thanks for taking my call. How are you doing today? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? Good. You know, I think there's two parts of this. You know, one of them is that, uh, do I think they should get the win? No, I do not. 
Um, second part of this is that, you know, the NBA has rules that they've regulated where the, the you know, they got the commissioner and they got people up in the box looking down, watching multiple games at one time to see what's going on. Well, at any time and point in that game, when they saw that over review, they could have went, they could have sent a message down to the box saying, hey, we need the, the refs to, to review this play because we think the basket is good. That would have solved all the problem right there. Now that since that didn't happen, now you have the issue of that this basket did count and wasn't counted for. But at the same time in sports, uh, if something is good, it's good. You know, do I believe that I, it, and it, it becomes too, it also becomes an extraordinary assumption or a hypothetical assumption. You know, the extraordinary is that they would have won the game anyways. You know, the hypothetical is that they would have had a chance to win the game if those right. two points were still there. So in my opinion, I think since they play again, you, you have them play that seven minutes, seven and a half minutes, whatever it is, before the game, their next game, then whoever wins, wins. That's fine. But you can't take away a basket, especially when the league is, is putting in these rules where they can look at it at a play, even though the ref didn't call it. They can look at it and overrule the ref. They could have did that in the same situation. Okay. Well, here, here you know, it's interesting, Troy. While you were talking, I, I, I don't claim to – I follow college basketball more than I do NBA basketball, although the Bucks are having a great year. All right, here, here's the deal – on, on the replay rules, and I don't want to go too deep in the weeds on this, but my understanding is coaches get a challenge, all right, and then the replay center, okay, that you're talking about, there's two times that they can in the first 46 minutes of the game, the rules are different in the last two minutes, but in the first 46 minutes of the game, there's two things that the NBA replay center can trigger or review. One is two-point or three-point field goals. That is whether a made field goal should count as two or three points. And then the second thing is potential shot clock violations. So at least the way I read the rule, this isn't something that when it happened that the NBA replay center could have stopped it. That the burden was on the coach to to file, you know, a, a protest at the time. He didn't. Bottom line is, I, I just I don't think you can go back and change things because we're never going to get closure. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Oregon, Wisconsin is, is a Madison suburb, a um, little bit to the, the south of, of Madison proper on State Highway 14. Up until a few weeks ago, the Oregon, again, Oregon, Madison, Dane County, the Oregon School District has been without a school resource officer. What they did is they had apparently, like, I think retired officers from Dane County, like the Sheriff's Department, who in an unarmed capacity would be in the school, but they weren't official school resource officers because the police department and the school board and the parents couldn't come to an agreement as to whether school resource officers were a good thing or not. Now, after the developments of the last couple days, how dumb does that look? And, and they had a couple hang-ups. One was a concern that the parents had that the school resource officer might question or interview some of the children without notifying the parents. 
So I don't know, you know, little Johnny or Joni does something really bad at school and the school resource officer talks to the kid before mom and dad have a chance to come in and, I don't know, lawyer the kid up or whatever. Oh, how terrible that is. So that was one of the factors. One of the other factors that ended up becoming a deal breaker had to do with firearms. As a matter of fact, even though they have signed a contract that now brings school resource officers back into the school, there is a limitation. Here's what happened. The law enforcement people wanted to store an AR-15, you know, uh, the the so-called semi-automatic assault rifle. They wanted to have one of these firearms on the premises. Now, it wasn't so much that they wanted the officer to be walking around, you know, patrolling the schools with the gun. That that wasn't the idea. Not like when you go out, for example, to Miller Park nowadays and you see the police in the SWAT team outfits with the guns and things like that. But they wanted to have the firearm on the premises. And presumably what would have happened is the, the firearm would have been you know, located in a locked area, you know, on the campus, accessible to, again, the school resource officer and presumably, you know, nobody else, right? The parents and at least one member of the school board objected to that. They said, well, you know, we, you know, we, we don't think that they should be able to have this rifle on, on hand. Now, the justification for having the rifle, of course, was that if you look at school shootings, now I understand this week you had the uh, the one in Waukesha involved a kid who had lookalike guns. He had pellet guns. The one in Oshkosh involved um, a kid who had what they're describing as an edged weapon. I don't know why they're not calling a knife if it was a knife, but they're saying it's an edged weapon. So in neither one of these situations did somebody have an actual handgun or did they have an assault rifle or something like that. But if you look at the history of school shootings, it is not uncommon for you know that to happen. How many times do we hear the conversations about, oh, we need to get these semi-automatic assault rifles, they need to get out of society because they have a disproportionate use in these shootings? All right, so the thinking was, if we're going to have a law enforcement officer, a school resource officer on the scene, it would make sense to also allow there to be a rifle on hand so that in the worst case, I mean, the thinking is in the worst case scenario, you know, Lord forbid something like this happens and a kid does come in and the kid does have the semi-automatic, a quote unquote assault rifle. At least you're doing in a situation where the police officer would not be outgunned. Right? So that's what the thinking was. The school board and a number of the parents were appalled, appalled at the notion that you could have this type of firearm that could be stored on the campus. And again, it would be stored in a locked area accessible to the school resource officer. So when they finally cut the deal to allow a school resource officer to come to the school, the the stipulation was no no weapons like that, no assault rifles. I think he's able to carry a he or she's able to carry a handgun, but but no no rifles. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. One of the things that I think has really become apparent over the last couple days is the value that school resource officers have. 
the fact that you do have people who are trained to deal with situations like this. And I understand in Waukesha that it wasn't the school resource officer who actually ended up firing the shots that took down the kid who was threatening other people with what turned out to be the pellet gun. And it was another officer that came on the scene. But I, I'm, I'm looking back and I've been following this debate over the last couple months that's been going on in this small community. And again, part of it's gone back to the idea that people are afraid to allow a police officer to have easy access to, in this case, one of these semi-automatic rifles. 414-799-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I confess, this makes absolutely no sense to me at all. Is there a reason why a police officer, a sworn police officer on the scene, should not have access, in this case, to a rifle in order to, in the worst case scenario, help defuse a situation if you did have a shooting? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'll be honest with you. I don't get it. I don't get why you would object to this. Regardless of how you feel about teachers being armed, uh, is there really any reason, number one, not to have armed SROs, but number two, not allow those SROs to have sufficient weaponry to be in a position to repel the worst-case scenario? 414-799-1620, I wouldn't be worried about a police a police officer on school grounds having access to this type of firearm, but apparently they were out in Dane County. We discuss in just a minute. If you're on the line, please hold on. 414-799-1620. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 414-799-1620. Don in Waterford. Don, good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, Actually, I guess the big question is, why couldn't they uh, come to a compromise and meet the middle and allow the officer to leave the rifle in a squad car in the parking lot? Okay. Well, let me ask you this: what What is what would be? Would you have an objection to allow? I mean, the the officers they've, they've got offices to allow the officer to store the rifle in a secure, locked place. You know, in in his or her office. I mean, I what what would be the problem with that? Is there a problem? I don't think there is. I think they should allow that. Have it locked up. One key, one access. Yeah. The officer can only get to it. Nobody knows about it, for one, you know, and just keep it quiet, and that's all it is. Yeah, I get I mean, thanks. I mean, and I understand what you're talking about, a compromise. I mean, I... My, I mean, I don't know. I mean, if the if the school resource officer drives a drives a squad car to school and parks it there during the day, my guess is there there might be firearms and stuff in the trunk. But to me, I see this just makes no sense to me. I mean, I, look, I you're talking about. Admittedly, a worst case scenario. But my guess is, if something, if if you get a situation where there's an active shooter, let's say there's an active shooter on school grounds, the police are called to respond. As happened over the last couple days, they get there in a couple minutes, which is what happened in Waukesha, which is what happened in Oshkosh. I guarantee you that those police who are responding to an active shooter situation, I guarantee you that some of them are carrying rifles. I I, I could almost guarantee that some of them are carrying rifles. doesn't mean that they're going to shoot them, but they've got them there because they don't know what the situation is. Why would you be afraid of leaving a firearm? Again, I'm not talking about like leaving it loaded and out on a desk, but, you know, locked up 
in the appropriate place, like in the SRO's um, area, so that he or she is the one that can get to it fast in situations where seconds matter. 414-799-1620. Sean in Milwaukee. Sean, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, hello? Hi, Sean. Hey, how you doing? Good. Um, yeah, I was listening to the show, and um, the one thing that kind of came to mind for me would be logistically, if um, you run the risk of overpenetration or missed shots with a high-capacity round, now you have two deadly assault weapons that are potential dangers and threats to the students. Well, I, I guess, but at the same time, you know, the, 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 the officer is going to be armed. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, they don't have a rifle, but I, I mean, I presume they're going to have their, their service, you know, handgun, 9 millimeter pistol or whatever that is. So, I mean, it, th- those those bullets, I mean, th- they, they travel a long way as well. I mean, I'm not, I, I mean, yeah. you know, I, I guess I, I, I'm not I sure it's mean, any more dangerous. Yeah, I don't. Uh, okay, so. A handgun round travels at about between 1,500 and 2,000 feet per second. Yep. A rifle is is well yeah. above that, almost double that. Yep. So the the chance of overpenetration with a high high capacity round and having it do damage to someone else who might have not even be near the gun battle, um, you know, there is a risk there. And I think that you know having a trained officer with a firearm that doesn't have overcapacity and is used specifically in a close it's probably a better, it's probably a better solution. Okay, well, thanks, Nicole. Well, I mean, I I guess I, I look at this, and I mean, here's a texture that makes a point. What happens if a Columbine incident occurs and the SRO is outgunned? The squeaky wheels complaining today will be the same ones that scream bloody murder if their kids are involved and the um, SRO cannot protect them. So I guess I guess that's the point. I, it's interesting to me that you have the these school boards, you know, that are comprised of citizens from the community that want to tell law enforcement how to do their job. Now, I do understand that there's situations you can say, well, all right, you know, our all right, we, we don't want to expose people to unnecessary danger. But, I mean, the reality is, going back to the point I was just trying to make a little while ago, you know, if there is a school sur- situ- shooting situation, you know darn well that the responding officers, in some cases, are going to be carrying rifles, right? So why wouldn't you allow ease of access, if seconds matter, to, again, that type of firearm with the school resource officer? And, again, we're calling them school resource officers, but they're trained police officers they're sworn police officers so they're presumably familiar with using these types of firearms and i guess in a situation where seconds matter don't want don't we want people to be armed and an ability to uh, again if you've got the worst case scenario you've got that kid that's got the high power rifle and he's trying to do all sorts of damage don't you want don't you want the school's resource officer to be in a position where he can confront that threat with at least the same amount of firepower, if not more? Dean in Naperville. Dean, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, hi Jeff. Good hi, afternoon. Dean. You know, I listen, I agree with you. It, it's like we're worried about overpenetration from the police. I'm worried about overpenetration from the gunmen. Yeah. And I, I want I want to protect all those kids to the best of our ability and so if we're going to put a resource officer in there we want to say to him boy not only do we value your life but we value all these kids and we want to give you the best opportunity to do your job right i just think it's i think when 
you know, people say, well, we're worried about overpenetration and this and that. We're just looking for excuses not to do the job correctly. Well, you know, and I, and I think that kind of comes back to what was going on in this small village. Why it, it, it was, well, we we're hung up over the rifle and we're hung up over the fact that maybe the, the police officer could ask some of our kids questions without calling the parents. It was this whole idea of, well, you know, we, we don't trust the police to be able to do the right thing when, again, the events of this week demonstrate that we're darn lucky to have police, we're darn lucky to have them on school campuses, and we're darn lucky to have them in a position to respond to bad things within a minute or two. I mean, why don't, why don't we trust the cops? Yeah, I just, I, it's, it is one of these sort of frustrating things that's out there. And literally, this was the hang-up, and one of the keys to getting sworn, uh, the, the, the police officers back, the school resource officers back in the school in Oregon, was they had to agree, okay, no rifles on campus. No, and again, that, that's no secure rifle on campus by the SRO. I mean, obviously, if there's a shooting incident, everybody can come. But what purpose do we really serve by doing that? All we have done is, in a worst-case scenario, put that police officer who's working as a school resource officer, we've put him in a situation or her in a situation where she may be overpowered firepower-wise if a school shooter does, in fact, show up. Why would you really want to do that? This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Sir, Eric Bill said, you haven't even been able to make it through the Irishman yet, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm watching it kind of like I read a book, you know, a little bit at a time. A long book. You know, War, <laughs> war and Peace. I, I just, I, you know, and, and, it, and it's interesting because typically... These epic films, I, I don't mind stuff that it's long, sure, but it's so so slow and unnecessarily so in some spots. I mean, we were talking off air. There's a couple of chunks, and I don't want to ruin it for anybody, but where it's just like, boy, that that segment of the movie didn't need to be nearly right. You you that could long. easily lo- or lose entire. Yeah, scene. you could right. easily. I mean, that that's when I watched it the second time because I was trying to figure out if I was being fair to it or not, and and I just I'm, I'm wonder. I still find myself wondering if there's a decent movie inside this really right, long right. rambling movie and and of course all all the all the critics and the hollywood types are, oh this is tremendous and it's martin scorsese and whatever the other thing that i find off-putting is they spent millions and millions and millions of dollars this thing cost like 160 million bucks so if you're wondering why your netflix fees went <laughs> up they, they, they took on the financing for this but they they've got it, what what they do is they use this weird computer generating stuff to make the actors look different ages right. at different point in time, and it's it's real. I find it to be incredibly distracting. Yeah, that one and, and that didn't bother me as much. But what did I, I didn't really see that much of an age progression in some of it. Like I, I don't yeah. know how old De Niro is supposed to be when he first meets the Joe Pesci character, but Pesci calls him kid. Right. I'm like, well, <laughs> kid, right. He looks like he's fifty to sixty years old. Yeah, like, it's just it's just, and I was really looking forward to. It. I mean, I, I was, I mean, I watched it the first night, stayed up late, you yeah. know, and watched it on. I kept watching it, kept watching it, thinking. Now, I, I admit the 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 ending is kind of thought provoking if you can make it that that far. <laughs> but but it, it's three and a half for, for three That's and a half hours. It, it's not Lawrence of Arabia, you know. It's it's just it, it's it's not Bridge on the River Kwai. And and I mean, I I understand that these are all like movie gods and stuff. And I, I I've taken to Twitter. There's a few of us out there that are just kind of saying, boy, I just don't see what this is all about. It's very good fella-ish too like just that template 
of having the narrative. Oh, casino. And, you know, no, I mean, it's, it's very, I mean, it's very, it's casino, yeah, yep, it's yep, Goodfellows, yep. it's, it's all that, that type of stuff. Um, but, you know, in any event, it, it's, it's on Netflix. If you have three and a half hours of your life, just don't, or, you could say you've been warned. Or, yeah, 15 minutes, yeah, 15 minutes at a time. Yeah, <laughs> we're going to, okay, what are we going to do tonight? Well, we've got 15 minutes between after we get the kids put to bed before, you know, right. I got to go, right. It's, eh, I, I don't know. In any event, you know, you can make it, uh, make your own decision. But I, I acknowledge I'm kind of in the minority here on this, but it's, it's a, it's a quasi movie fan. I just, I was really looking forward to this. And kind of disappointing. All right. I want to talk about impeachment, but I, I don't want to have this conversation about, well, should the president be impeached or not? Because it, it's all it's all a kabuki dance of what's going on in Washington right now. I mean, here here is the reality. I understand that this frustrates a lot of people when I say it. But but here's the reality. President Trump in the Democratic House of Representatives is going to be impeached. That's what's going to happen. There's going to be multiple articles of impeachment accusing him of misconduct. I don't know how many will pass, but several will pass on what is essentially going to be a party-line vote. There will probably be no Republicans that vote for impeachment. There will probably be a handful of Democrats in Trump in districts that Trump won in 2016 that vote against it. But there won't be enough to uh, create a majority. He will be impeached. The matter will go over to the U.S. Senate, and he is not going to be removed from office. I mean, there's been no indication at all that anything that has come out thus far, that the opinion of a Harvard professor who testifies today, well, I think it's an impeachable offense, there's nothing at all to suggest that you're going to have, you need 67 members of the U.S. Senate to vote to impeach President Trump. That's just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. So for the next 30 days, 45 days, we're going to just be kind of be playing this out. So I don't want to discuss should he be gone or not, because this is just the reality. I live in the real world. But there's also there is also the political because we we're coming up on on an election. You know, interestingly enough, when you had other impeachment proceedings that were started in recent years, that would be Bill Clinton and would be Richard Nixon. They were in their second terms. They were in their second term, so there wasn't a re-election coming up. In the case of Donald Trump, obviously, I mean, there's going to be an election in 11 months. Right? I want to share with you the first portion of a piece that appears in the L.A. Times today, because I thought it was really thought-provoking, and and this is where I want to start our conversation. Here's the first couple paragraphs. Before she announced an impeachment inquiry against President Trump in September, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi worried it might provoke a backlash from voters who thought that Congress had better things to do. That didn't happen. Instead, voters headed straight to their partisan corners. Democrats rallied behind impeachment. Republicans closed ranks behind President Trump. It's unlikely that Pelosi ever saw impeachment winning enough converts in the Republican-controlled Senate to make Trump the first U.S. president to be removed from office. The GOP appears, if anything, more united behind Trump now than before the process began. I agree with that. But the televised impeachment hearing served another purpose that could give hope to Democrats desperate to beat Trump next year. The proceedings provided a preview of the Democrats' most powerful arguments against 
against Trump. If you have any doubt, look at the House Intelligence Committee report released Tuesday. It argues that Trump has abused presidential power for his own personal and political gain. It argues he has hijacked foreign policy and obstructed justice. It argues he has destroyed institutions and undermined alliances. It argues he is unfit for office. The unspoken message, impeach first, then vote him out of office. And then the story quotes a Republican strategist as saying, all right, this is turning into the world's largest campaign commercial to not reelect Donald Trump. And, and the premise is, okay, that, that's what this is all about. We all understand that the scenario is going to play out like I just outlined. You're going to have Democrats on a party line vote that impeach. He's not going to be convicted. But over the next 60 days, playing out in front of the American people is going to be at least what the Democrats hope is this, again, a campaign commercial essentially saying that Trump is unfit for office. Now, the flip side to that, though, is that Republicans, at least senators, appear more united than ever. If you look at polls, you also see, and again, I understand people don't believe polls necessarily, but you see that people who support President Trump, they've become more united than ever against, in favor of him because they view this as th- this sort of unfair proceeding. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here is my question. Right? Not how is this going to end, because I think most of us know how it's going to end. My question is, is big picture, is this going to help President Trump get reelected? Is it going to hurt him in his reelection effort? Because that's what this is really all about. Let's be honest here. This is about trying to influence the voting next November. And it may well do that. But is it going to help him? Or is it going to hurt him? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Obviously, the Democrats hope that by you release this report, all right, you have this discussion day after day after day, and the argument is, okay, this is he's the worst president ever. He's corrupt. He's venal. He needs to be removed from office. And even if the Senate doesn't, all right, is that going to move the needle with the American people? How does this play out? Or does President Trump, is it possible that he somehow becomes a victim of an out-of-control Democratic Congress who never viewed his presidency as legitimate and has been trying to do everything they could to get him out of office, and this is just the latest example? Is he sympathetic? 414-799-1620. How do you think this plays out next November? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. When we talk about the impeachment process on this program, I, I, I want to be in the real world. Let's understand this is a political thing. This is how it's going to shape out. President Trump will be impeached. And that is articles of impeachment. He will be acquitted in a trial in front of the Senate. Both will be essentially on party line votes. And then ultimately the American people decide whether President Trump continues for another four years next November when they vote. The question is, 
how is this process going to work out? Is it is there going to be a backlash? Is Trump going to be sympathetic? Or, as the article I was just reading suggests, is the next couple months essentially going to be, you know, free publicity for the Trump is unfit? Is it just one giant campaign commercial? Let's start with Steve in Green Bay. Hi, Steve. You're on WTMJ. Hey, how are you? Real well, thank you. How is this going to play out? I think... Uh Exactly what you said. And I'm a Trump supporter, and I think it's going to be a good thing for a couple of reasons of just telling the screen. First of all, I think the trial in the Senate is going to be pretty interesting because it'll be the senators getting people to testify, like that uh, lieutenant colonel and those, everybody else, maybe even bringing up uh, mm-hmm. uh, Congressman, uh, I can't think of his name, the guy from California. Right? Sure, uh, right, yeah. The, yeah. But, but I think that's one good thing. And secondly, I think all this is going to do is mobilize the base, and I think a lot of, not only his base, but I think a lot of independents, if you look at a lot of the polls lately, is there's a lot of thought that the independents are starting to think that this is a bunch of hot watch. And I think, you know, anybody, common sense, I mean, where's our trade agreement with Canada? Well, but, but let, me, let me just stop you there, though. I mean, so, but at the same time, for the next 30-plus days, because in this case, the, the impeachment process in the House of Representatives, you know, and it's the Democrats that control this. It's going to be, you know, like it is today, three witnesses to every one saying, oh, President Trump is awful. This is an impeachable offense. I mean, isn't it possible that that's going to have an impact on people when if you hear it enough, they say, OK, President Trump is awful. He's got to be removed. I don't think so, Jeff. I, I, maybe I give people too much credit, but people have a lot of common sense and you know, they're starting to realize there's nothing there. And I, I listened to part of the testimony today with these professors or whatever they are, constitutional law, and you can take either side of it. Right. And yeah, I mean, me, it's just, I think people are sick of it. I got mean, it. Okay, thanks for call. 414-799-1620. Well, the Democrats are betting that people aren't, and the Republicans are betting that people are. Let's talk to Jerry on the South Side. Jerry, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Jerry. Um, I think... This, and this is probably contingent on people paying attention to the hearings, but I think it would harm Donald Trump if people pay attention and, they continue, and watch the hearings and the case that the Democrats making out and the hold on the aid and the, him talking and pressuring the Ukraine president. If you look at that, I think it would help the Democrats. It's unfortunate there's no chance of really other than a non-conviction in the Senate because both sides, both sides are not really objective when it comes to that. They're just, you know, uh, we got to protect Donald Trump or, you know. So your your bet, your bet is at the end of the day, this is a net benefit for whoever it is that that runs against Donald Trump next November. Right, right. I mean, he will only be um, the third president who's been impeached, Mm -hmm. you know, in the the entire history of the United States. Um, Of course, he's going to wear that as a badge of honor among his supporters. His line is going to be, they've been out to get me since I won in 2016. They, they They did the Mueller report. It was one thing after another. Now they're going after me on this. And a lot of people are going to rally behind that. But you don't think that you don't think that that's going to be where the majority is. No, well, I, I, I think some were rally behind it. And, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't support impeachment. I'm not Trump's board, but I didn't support impeachment of Trump right away. I only supported impeachment looking at his acts. This, uh, the, this thing with the Russia meeting mm-hmm. uh, before he became uh, the firing of Comey. It was, I didn't want an impeachment from day one. I looked at the acts, and I think the acts have built 
towards impeachment and removal. Got it. Okay, thanks for the call. Um, number of people are texting. Here, here's one. People won't watch. This, this is all old news. I, I do think that there's a, a lot of that. That if there was, if there was a smoking gun, you know, it would have emerged in the last couple of weeks where you had all the different witnesses that were there on the car. I mean, there, there, there's nothing new that I think that's going to come out, that's going to dramatically make the needle move one way or or the other. What this battle is really given, the, the people that I think that they're playing to right now, and both sides are playing to, are those swing voters in Michigan and Pennsylvania and Florida, and dare I say, swing voters in Wisconsin, you know, key states that are going to determine who the next president of the United States is going to be. Vincent on the northwest side. Vincent, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. I I think it's going to hurt President Trump uh, in the 2020 election. I think, uh, like the uh, caller before me said, he will be part of the select group of individual presidents who have been impeached. And so I, I, I think that that is a marker that he has to live with. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and, and so when you have Lindsey Graham basically coming to the point where he's talking about, well, maybe we should center him, the fact is there is a, there is a needle being moved, even, even to, 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 to the Republican side. And so, it's, 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 so I think, yeah, this is going to be an anchor that he's going to have to bear mm-hmm. throughout this election period. Well, I thanks for calling, Vincent. You, you, obviously, that's what the Democrats hope. I think, I guess. See, I go back to this notion. I think that people's opinions are so embedded, and we are so polarized right now that al- almost nothing registers. And I think people have already decided. I really don't think that there's too many people out there that don't have an opinion on on President Trump and don't have an opinion on his fitness for office and don't have an opinion on whether or not he should be removed. Now, I, of course, the, the thing that's going on with impeachment and that's I, I think and it, see, I think the Democrats even I mean, I think they all understand he's not going to be removed. OK, they, they don't have the power to do that. But what they're hoping is that they can paint through these hearings this portrait that he's just unfit for office enough to convince people who either didn't vote in 2016 or voted for president trump in 2016 that they made a mistake and they need to change their mind you know how that all plays out i i don't know as i as i continue to say i think a lot is going to depend not on the impeachment of president trump because the attitudes that people have of him i think are already baked in I mean, I just I I do. I don't meet anybody who is ambivalent on President Trump. What's going to happen? It's going to be curious to see who it is that ends up running against him, because if it's certain candidates, well, then the question is going to play on President Trump's fitness for office. If it's other candidates, well, then the issue is going to be less about President Trump and more about do we want to take the country in the direction that a Bernie Sanders or an Elizabeth Warren wants to take it? Completely different dynamic. And I don't know how all that's going to play out, but it is going to be fascinating to watch. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. When I was practicing law, I had this rule that I never answered the phone at work after 3 o'clock on a Friday because my experience was people are rarely calling you up then to tell you that you're doing a great job. Normally, it's a problem. 
a problem that will ruin your weekend. And in most cases, it's a problem that really could have waited until Monday. So that was just sort of the philosophy. Right or wrong, that was kind of my philosophy that I tried to live by. And and back in the day, back in the day, you could get away with that because when you left work, you know, unless it was an emergency type of situation where somebody had to call you at home, you know, you, you were you were off of work. You know, until you came in and you'd come in on Monday morning and you'd check your messages and then you'd go about your, your work week. That all changed with the when Al Gore invented the Internet and the, the, with the whole notion of email. What's happened is everybody is now accessible 24 seven. You know, if if um, I'm sitting awake at one o'clock in the morning for whatever reasons and I have some thoughts and I want to share it, well, I can sit down and I can type out that email and I can send it out to whoever I want so that when they wake up, you know, at seven or eight or nine o'clock the next morning, you know, on a Saturday, you know, there, there's my email. It's there waiting for them and they can decide whether they want to respond to it or not. Well, it gets a little bit trickier when you're talking about getting emails from from work. You know, you go home for the weekend. You're planning on having a nice weekend with your family. You got kids soccer games on Saturday morning. Maybe you and your wife have plans for a cocktail party or you're going to go do a date night, go see a movie Saturday night, whatever. And there you are. You check your email, 30, 9 o'clock on a Saturday morning as you're getting ready to walk out the door to your kids soccer game. And there's an email from your, your boss, your supervisor or whatever, who's saying, hey, you know, I, I got this issue. You know, something's happened. You know, we need to respond to so-and-so and we need to get a response out right away. And then, you know, there goes your weekend, potentially, if you have to do that. Now, maybe they would have called you at home you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago. But in that case, we almost never got called at home unless it was really an emergency, as opposed to kind of a routine piece of business. There's an interesting story that I was reading today about about how this this whole dynamic about being on call 24-7, 365 days a year, has started to affect the the workforce. And I was looking at this survey that they did about workers, and interestingly, they say, at least the survey that they were talking about, you know, says that you have now a majority of of workers who, even when they're on vacation, what they'll do is they will they'll check in. They'll check their email and they will respond, you know, to it. I'm talking about work related email. I'm not talking about email from friends. Um so even on vacation, they end up being, you know, plugged in. Weekends, well, there are no such things as weekends anymore. Off the clock, there's no such thing as being off the clock nowadays because you can be reached at any point in time. And people say that there is this expectation. It doesn't matter whether it's 9 o'clock on a Friday evening or 3 o'clock on a Saturday afternoon or 3 o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. If that text message comes in from work, well, there's a feeling that you have to drop everything and respond. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Where are you on this? Do you feel that, well, if you get that email from from work and it comes in even when you're on your own time, even when you're off hours, 
Do you feel that you have to respond? Do you feel that you have to open it? Do you feel that you have to read it? Is there this implicit understanding that there isn't a separation anymore between you know work and, and personal time? 414-799-1620. And is that healthy? See, I, I work in a job right now where you know, do, do I get emails from work on my off time? Yes. Are they emergencies as a general rule that, that need to be dealt with? No, it's, it's not like when I was on call when the DEA or the FBI might, might need to reach me because there's a drug bust going down and I might have to come in to do a search warrant. Will I look at emails? Well, yeah, I'll look at emails, but I'll do it on, on my own time. When we're on vacation, will I set aside maybe 15 minutes in the morning to just kind of check emails just to see what's going on? Yes. Do I feel this obligation that for most situations I got to drop everything and respond to something? No, I, I don't because I have this very clear idea of, work time, and personal time. But it's getting harder and harder, I think, for a lot of people to do that. 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And if, if you're in management, you're a manager, do you think you it, it you get this idea, something's happened, whatever, do you think, and again, I'm not talking about a, a devastating, you know, cataclysmic sort of thing. I'm just talking about routine stuff. I mean, do you feel, okay, I'm going to reach out to my employees and tell them about something on a Saturday when the chances are it could wait till Monday morning? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Chris in Slinger. Hi, Chris. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I've been with the company since like the very beginning and a uh, long time ago when we only had a few people, we kind of would, if any time they needed us, you know, we on a weekend, we'd do it. But it was always very appreciative. It wasn't expected. Um, the other thing, too, though, is that uh, the industry I'm in is the Internet. The Internet's on 24 hours a day. If a right. site goes down on a Friday night and no one takes care of it, it's not back up until Monday. So I think it kind of depends what business you're in. I will admit that I don't like it all. Like I see some other friends I have where they kind of get a message and yeah, they are expected to do something. It's not, you know, that right. their boss isn't overly appreciative. It's kind of like, you're just supposed to, I guess where I'm at, it's always been, you know, if you, if you step up on a weekend to take care of something, it's not like it was expected, but right. But it, it doesn't, annoying it, to watch. yeah, no, th- thanks for calling. And again, I always, I understand there's always going to be that emergency situation. The house is on fire, whatever, but, I think more and more what you hear is stuff that we would otherwise describe as routine. That stuff that I'm talking about that, okay, somebody might want to call you at 3 o'clock on Friday, but the truth is it could wait till 8 o'clock Monday morning. And, and uh, you know, it, and all it's going to do is end up ruining your weekend, and it's not something that's that's urgent. Here's a text. Jeff, I'm in sales. I always have to be available. If someone wants to buy, I have to be available 24 Seven. Oh, oh, okay. I guess, huh? That that's an interesting thing. I mean, I understand if you're in sales, you you don't want to miss that call. But I guess is that is that healthy if regularly you're getting those phone calls at eight nine o'clock at night saying, okay, I I, I need you to put together this pricing thing, or I you know we we need to have this offer ready to go by eight o'clock Monday morning when maybe it could be done by eight o'clock Tuesday morning. Tom and Franklin. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Well, good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, I Tom. hope you're having a good day. I am. Thank you for asking, <laughs> as a matter of fact. Okay. Well, that's good. I've been listening to you for a long time. Thanks. Anyway, as I explained to your uh, uh, operator, greeter, whatever, engineer, um, 
I check my emails Monday morning. I get to the office an hour early. I check all my emails, anything that's a, anything that's a, extremely critical. I'll respond on Monday. But my boss knows if it's critical, he gave me a cell phone. And I, I respond on the cell phone. Right. But if it's just an email, I'm, assu- I'm assuming it's just something that uh, right. well, he knows. If he knows my attitude, if, right. it's, if it's an email, it's going to wait. Well, right, and exactly. So that's the idea. If if it's critical, okay, this is an emergency. You know, you know, we we've broken the glass. There's a problem. I got to get a hold of you. He'll he'll call you up and and you'll respond. But there's not this expectation that you have to drop everything on a Sunday afternoon, for example, when you're you know with your your kids or your grandkids and and respond to this stuff. It'll keep. Yeah, um, I've I've gotten calls at ten o'clock at night. Hey, um, something broke. Right. And we need you right there because I need. Uh, sure. You know, they need all the. Doc- I mean, I did. I'm an engineer. I do all the. Sure. Uh, I, I got to check all the stuff with the sure. ground. Yeah, no, and I, and, uh, right, no, I got, no, thanks for, yeah, thanks for calling. I mean, I, and I understand there, there's always going to be that. Or you're the plumber or the HVAC guy that's on call. I mean, I, I, I understand that there's going to be some times where, yeah, that's just the nature of what your, your business is. But I think, you know, for a lot of us where it's not the emergency situation, you know, you're just, you know, what, whatever. But there's a, an expectation, I think, that we have to be available collectively 24-7. And I'm not sure I think that that's good. Jeff, I've worked for 12 years where I was accessible 24-7, and that was I was definitely taken advantage of. Now working a new job where there is no work to address after hours or on weekend, I can't believe the difference I can feel in my overall well-being. It's a complete sense of freedom, which I haven't felt in my adulthood yet. The feeling of being off the radar. Yeah. That, yeah. Josh in Waukesha. Josh, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. So there's a few little points I have, but I think it all goes back to this main issue that Americans are stuck with this 40-hour work week. We're mer- working more than than in the history of our country, and the 40-hour turns to 60 hours with overtime. And then on top of that now, people are then expected to be a- accessible and on-call through yeah. their email and things like that. Uh, and not getting paid for that. I mean, even at Walmart, I know that it's illegal to even, like, help a customer do any kind of work if you're clocked out, so to speak. Right. Uh, and so what about people who are stuck? Uh, I mean, I worked a job where I was in sales and I was accessible all the time, but there was a day out of the week where I said, like it or not, I'm not available during this window of time. Yeah, you're declaring it to be a a day of Josh, and all you're going to do is worry. (laughs) It's like, okay, I'm punched out. I don't want to hear from work. For me, but yeah, you know. So and 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 the the employer had to be okay with that. But my point, my second point, is that if people are are expected to work these forty hours, I think that if it's used properly, this being able to have access to people off the clock or outside of a office space, that people could, in some industries, actually work fewer hours and work smarter and not harder, and just be available for the things that come up, especially in industries like sales or whatever, uh, and actually be putting in less hours in an office, but in the end being more productive because they're taking their time to be available when it's needed as opposed to just clocking in, clocking out all the time. I think and I hope that our society can move past this clock in, clock out mentality because I think people work better when they can work in their own time and their own space and have expectations 
of standards to hit as opposed to just get in there and do your time. So right, except the so. flip side. I mean, thanks to call. I mean, of course, the flip side is that the person on the other side of the phone you know, or the other side of the email they want stuff answered, you know, right right away. I mean, I, I, I spent a lot of my career practicing law. My late wife was an attorney. And, you know, what would happen is clients would, would they, I mean, they didn't care if it was 8 o'clock at night on a Friday or a Thursday or a Saturday. They wanted answers when they wanted answers. And they expected that was one of the things. You know, when I started practicing law, okay, well, you know, somebody leaves a message, you get back to them the next day, That that's good enough. Now, with everything being 24-7, the expectation is, hey, I'm paying you money. I want an answer. I want it now. I don't necessarily need it now, but I want it now. So I expect you to drop everything and get back to me. And that's kind of something that's understood. I just don't think it's healthy. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Melissa, do you have a favorite, like, Christmas TV show, you know, that they always have the, the holiday specials that come on year after year? Like like, like and, variety and, shows or, like, music shows? No, I'm thinking of like... shows like, you know, How the Grinch, you know, the How the, oh. How the Grinch you know, Stole Christmas and things like that. Is is there one that you particularly like every year that you watch when you're growing up? I'm going to sound Scrooge-ish. Not really. Okay. I mean, I'll watch some stuff, but there's not one I really look forward to. Scrooge, do you have... Do you have one? You know, that well, it's you, a wonderful life. I do like that one. Okay, the movie. Yeah, the but, movie. Yeah. But I'm, I'm, like TV specials, real. I like watching the Peanuts. Otherwise, every Christmas Eve, I'll watch the uh, the Christmas Story. Um, oh, the movie at, at seven the movie. p.m. Okay, well, like for example, tomorrow night on on ABC, Charlie Brown Christmas, which you yeah. know that that was see. When I was growing up, before you had the, the world of Internet TV and all these streaming things, you know they, they'd show it once a year, and it was a big deal. Now there's much more opportunity to be able to, to see it because there's streaming services that have them. At the, like, um, for example, one of my favorites is Santa Claus is Coming to Town, the old 1970s stop action thing narrated by Fred Astaire and Mickey Rooney plays Santa Claus, plays the Chris Kringle, Kringle character. I never get tired of watching that. I know how it's going to end, but I never get tired of watching it. Well, they used to air that, you know, once once a year. Now they still air it like on the like on ABC or something. We'll show it once a year, but you can. Uh, I think it's on Freeform, which is the uh, used to be the Family Network, but they stream it, and th- there'll be shows like that. And 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 maybe yours, maybe yours is Frosty the Snowman, or maybe it's again like for me, Santa Claus is coming to town, or Charlie Brown Christmas, or the cartoon version of um, you know. The, the original 30-minute cartoon of the Dr. Seuss, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, narrated by Boris Karloff. All those different things. So, you know, we, we all have these memories from our childhood. One of one of the shows that I think for a lot of people, if I said, okay, t- tell me what your favorite Christmas show would be, it would be Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, which, of course, the, the show Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer has been around – you know, for forever. Um, it, it's just one of these very sort of popular shows, and it, it makes its appearance every Christmas. It was on, I think it was on either ABC or CBS on, on Monday night. And and again, if you if you have the right streaming service, you can watch it during the course of, of the year. Well, believe it or not, we live in a world today where Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is controversial. 
Well, how could Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer be controversial, you might say to me, Jeff? Well, let, let me share with you at least what some people on the Internet think. Now, <clears throat> I think everybody's familiar with the plot of, of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. The idea is that Rudolph is ostracized by his fellow reindeer because Rudolph has this big old red blinking nose. He doesn't look like the other reindeer. And so if you watch the, the show, what happens is that, that Rudolph, um, for example, he finds himself having to wear a fake black nose to hide you know, the fact that he's different because he's got the red nose pursuant to his parents' request. He, he does so. Um, ultimately, he's the, the center of, of a joke when the thing falls off and all the other reindeer make fun of him. You know, as you watch the, the show, there's also a scene where, you know, for example, you know, Santa, you know, Santa is quote unquote, you know, yelling at some of the, the elves that are making the toys and things like that. And ultimately what happens is one of the, the elves and Rudolph, they kind of, they, they feel bad because they're being shunned and, and they move away. And then we all know how the story ends. It has a happy ending. Santa needs, you know, Rudolph to lead his sleigh, you know, at on Christmas Eve and Rudolph comes in and saves the day and then all the reindeer love him, like the song says. Okay, that's the plot. In 2019, Rudolph is controversial because a number of people are talking about how this is really, even though it has a a happy ending, it's a story, according to some, that promotes bullying. The idea that, hey, you know, we're... We're glorifying bullying. You know, Rudolph is, is picked on because he's being different. And look at all the things that happened to him. And how can we be exposing, this is the argument, children to the, this whole Rudolph story? Because isn't this just a parable for how, you know, we're different and how some people that are different in certain ways, how they're just not tolerated? Our number, 414 that is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. All right, I, I want to approach it in perhaps a little bit of a different way. I, I grew up, I grew up on Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. I grew up on a Charlie Brown Christmas where you know Charlie Brown is kind of picked on and bullied and ostracized because he's got the little Christmas tree and things like that. I, I grew up on those, and and to this day I love those different shows. At the same time. I understand why you watch them, maybe through a prism of our woke consciousness in, in 2019, and you go, okay, maybe this is kind of cringeworthy. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let, let's start it this way. Are, are you bothered by a, a TV show like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? Will it traumatize kids? Does it glorify bullying, even though it has a happy ending? Are there, I don't know, lessons that we should be learning in 2019 that say, okay, this might have been fine 50 years ago, but nowadays it's too much? Is it time to 86 Rudolph once and for all? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I love these shows. 
And I think there's generations of kids out there who grew up on the Charlie Brown Christmases and the and the Santa Claus is coming to town and Frosty the Snowman and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And I'm sorry, I just don't want to see the PC police take some of these shows away from us. Yes, is Rudolph bullied in the show? I understand that. But at the same time, it... it it has a message. It has a positive ending. And for all the people trolling around the Internet who are all worked up about this, I don't know, get a life. Let's start with Tim in Plymouth. Tim, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Tim. Um, I, I just want to say I pretty much agree with you. Um, I kind of always thought the plots of these shows were to kind of show that you should embrace the differences in each other and use that to your advantage or to make yourself a better person. And I think if you just stop showing these types of shows, what are you doing? Saying bullying doesn't exist. It's kind of to show that bullying does exist, and this is how you overcome it. Well, right. I mean, that's it. it. It's a positive message sort of piece. That's one of the... That's one of the cool things about it. Or the Charlie Brown with the, you know, they're, they're picking on him because he's got the, the little Christmas tree. Okay, well, with some decorations, they turned this into this great Christmas tree. No, it, I mean, these are all message pieces that are out there that say, hey, we should be tolerant. I, that, that these people who get worked up about it, well, well, yeah, you have to have a little bit of conflict to tell a story. But at the end of the day, the message that comes out of this is let's celebrate diversity. Let's celebrate being different and recognize that Everybody is special. Exactly. I, I, I watched Rudolph with my three-year-old son the other night, and it never crossed my mind that, yeah. well, he shouldn't be watching this or we shouldn't be showing this. It, right. It's ludicrous. No, exactly. And see, and, and I don't want the PC police to come in and make people like you feel guilty that you shouldn't be able to watch Rudolph with your three-year-old kid. We've got a ton of texts. Let's go to some. Um, uh, let's see, Jeff. I grew up watching Rudolph and Frosty, and at 48 years old, my 18-year-old and 16-year-old still love watching these. Merry Christmas to the PC police. Yeah, I and. Great. Jeff, ridiculous. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is a classic. This is so sad. It is. Jeff, keep Rudolph. We're creating a generation of hypersensitive kids that lack coping skills because society is overanalyzing every situation in order to protect them. Um, Yeah, I mean, that's... That's exactly what this is. Jeff, after they get rid of Rudolph, they should then get rid of the Three Stooges because that Mo sure was a bully. What's Wagner's rule of life, number one? Well, we all know that. Life is tough. Get a helmet. Jeff, I'm 53 years old. I grew up on all those Xmas show, Christmas shows that you're talking about. I have a four-year-old daughter. Yes, a four-year-old. I will sit her down, and we will watch all of them this season. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Jeff, I, too, grew up on the shows see this inspires a passion because you'd wait all year for these shows to come on now i say nowadays with streaming services you can see them multiple times so it's not as big a deal old charlie brown's going to be on this thursday but but at the same time there even though that there's easier access it doesn't mean that they're not cool to watch jeff i too grew up on these shows. When kids watch these shows without the prompting from their parents about bullying, all they see is a cartoon. Adults need to sometimes stay out of the way and just let the kids be kids and enjoy it for what it is, a cartoon or a claymation or whatever. Why does absolutely everything have to be a controversy? Well, that's 
that's kind of the whole idea. I mean, kids are going to watch this. They're going to see, okay, Rudolph is being picked on. But at the end of the day, Rudolph ends up being the hero of this. All these shows have a degree of conflict that is built into them. But they all end on a positive note. They all end on an uplifting note. Everybody is happy at the end. Everybody wins. And to the extent that, you know, people, some of the characters early in the show might have been behaving badly, they, they all, they all get their comeuppance. That's one of the great things about these holiday shows. Charlie Brown is a hero. Rudolph is a hero. Santa Claus comes to town. Why can't we just enjoy these things for what they are? This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All right. One of our texters, he called me out on something I said about Santa Claus is coming to town. Well, uh, no, I, I happen to be right on this one. I, I, Santa Claus is coming to town, which is, by the way, my favorite of all these. You know, that's one of the, again, it's one of these stop. Everybody knows Santa Claus is coming to town. It's one of these stop action type of things. Um, the the narrator, as I said, was was Fred Astaire, and that's right. One of our texters said, "Well, you said Mickey Rooney, you know, played played Santa Claus, and that's that's not right. He was in something else. No, no, no. He might have been in something else, but Mickey Rooney was the voice of Chris Kringle playing Santa Claus. Uh, that's that's what all star cast. Um, interestingly, the guy that played uh, the the whose voice was like the Burgermeister, Meisterburger, all the bad guys." Guys and stuff it was a guy named Paul Fries, who's best known. He was the uh, voice of Boris Badenov in Rocky and Bullwinkle. So uh, it's you know, <clears throat> I, I will take cartoons for forty art. You know, when <laughs> we're playing Jeopardy and stuff. But no, it's but again, they're, they're all these are wonderful shows. And if you haven't seen them for a while, for example, Charlie Brown on tomorrow night. If you if you're at home, if you're not coming to see us do our holiday show or something like that, if you don't have tickets yet, well, okay, just watch it. And my guess is, if you remember back to how much you enjoyed the show when when you saw it when when you were a kid, my my guess is you're still going to enjoy it just as much whether you're forty or fifty or sixty or seventy. And if you happen to have kids or grandkids that are around and you sit there and watch them my guess is if you watch their faces when they're watching these various shows there it's, it's going to be like experiencing it for the first time all over again so that's <clears throat> that that's one of the great things about a lot of these christmas shows the fact that they, they've touched multiple generations and that if you say well why do you spend 15 minutes or 20 minutes talking about rudolph the red-nosed reindeer well it, it's the it's not just the show but it's the larger point of the pc police that are out out there trying to say we should feel guilty about this stuff or we should scrub this stuff or these these lessons these shows they're not woke and we should recognize that we shouldn't watch them in 2019 to which i would say nuts to that now all right i, I often say on this program that just because you have a right to do something doesn't mean that it's the right thing to do but there is an asterisk that goes along with that. There are exceptions to that rule. And and this is one of these these stories. As a general rule, I think as long as the product is legal, I think people should be able to try to sell it. 
And then the, the response of a free market and consumers is to say, this is really in bad taste. We're, we're, I'm not going to buy it. So that's why occasionally on the show, you know, we'll talk about things where there'll be a, a T-shirt or there'll be a sweatshirt or there'll be something that's being marketed somewhere. And somebody will get their undies in a bundle and they'll say, oh, this is offensive to this person or that person or this group or that group. And they will demand that it be taken off the market. And a lot of times the retailers, they'll, they'll just, they'll just cringe and they'll say, oh, well, we're, we're so sorry. You know, we don't want to offend everybody, anybody. And so, you know, we'll pull it off. I, I, and I always rip the retailers there a lot of times because I understand that it's, it's a business decision. But at the same time, the reality is that, that there's going to be somebody. And trust me on this one. There's going to be somebody who's going to be offended about something all day. There are people in this world, I call them the politically correct and the perpetually offended, who wake up every day looking for something that they can be bothered by. And, and you know, and if they don't, their, their day is not fulfilled. And when they find that thing, then they're going to take to the Internet, social media, whatever, and they're going to try to find other people who are similarly like them and, you know, want to be aggrieved. And, oh, we're just so offended by this. Okay, so there is that culture out there. And I always urge retailers to kind of resist because the, the best the best way to fight that to me isn't, oh, we're sorry that you were offended by this. It's just don't buy the product. And if enough people don't buy the product, well, then the retailers won't sell it. There are exceptions to that, though. Because every once in a while, a product comes along that is so beyond the pale that you really have to wonder, who would put something like this out, who would sell it, and who would buy it? And and that's the story. There's this company that came out with Christmas ornaments, you know, holiday ornaments. They're Christmas ornaments. You put them on a Christmas tree. I don't care what Tony Evers wants to call it. It's a Christmas tree. But these holiday ornaments. Anyhow, this company makes these holiday ornaments that have images, and I hope you're sitting down for this, of the Auschwitz concentration camp on them. I'm not making this up. I'm holding the story in my hand from the New York Times. There's actually a couple other stories as well. Selling ornaments that had pictures of Auschwitz concentration camp on them. Now, again, I'm a free market guy. I think, you know, the the way you respond to this type of stuff, this type of demented stuff, would, would be as a general rule would be, okay, who wants to buy this type of thing? You don't buy it, nobody buys it, and then there's no market for it. Unfortunately, there might have must have been a couple sickos that were out there because they were, in fact, buying this. In any event, once this was exposed, Amazon made the decision, completely and totally correct in my mind, that they were going to pull it. And I, I, I couldn't support Amazon more. Like I say, I, I think in general, what you do is you let the market decide. Every once in a while, though, there are products that are just so reprehensible that from the perspective of being a seller, if I'm Amazon, you don't want anything to do with this. You know, if if the people that are making this can figure out a way to distribute it and they can find a way to get it to the weirdos that might want to buy it, okay. But Amazon doesn't need to be a part of it. So Amazon is removing these holiday ornaments with images of Auschwitz after criticism. That's the headline. The story should have been, how did these images get on Amazon in the first place? This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
So very glad to have you with us. I think the Wisconsin State Elections Committee is in commission is in clear violation of the law. But it may be a law that needs to be changed. And that's what I want to discuss with you. Obviously, voting is very, very important. And you want to make sure that everybody who is eligible to vote votes and has a right to vote and is not discouraged from voting. At the same time, there is also an interest, I think, that that overall we have as a society in making sure that if people are going to vote, they vote where they're supposed to vote and they don't vote if they're not entitled to vote. Now, one of the things that is very, very difficult for like local clerks, it's to keep track of when people move. For example, I mean, I lived in Whitefish Bay for going on 30 years. I voted at the same place all the time. A couple years ago, I, I moved, and so now I registered to vote somewhere else. Well, I, you know, at some point in time, something has to be done to get me off the voting rolls in, in Whitefish Bay. Because if I were criminally inclined, you know, maybe it would be impossible to, to show up and still, you know, vote in Whitefish Bay and then go vote where I, I live now. So there's an interest that we have in keeping the, the voting rolls up to date. So Wisconsin uses this thing called the Electronic Registration Information System. And, and we are one of 29 states that do this. What this, this clearinghouse does is it gathers information from various sources like the U.S. Postal Service, um, departments of motor vehicles, etc., to try to determine when somebody might have moved. So, for example, um, let's let's say you, you you live like I did in Whitefish Bay. You moved to your new location. Well, what we did is you know I had you had all the mail forwarded to that new location. All right, so this. This gathering thing would would say, okay, Jeff Wagner used to live at this address, now has this information forwarded to somewhere else. Might be an indicator that I had moved, changed my residence. Might not be. There might be reasons why I had done this, but it might be an indicator. Most commonly, the reason you're having this stuff forwarded is that that you've moved. Same thing with uh, like the DMV. You change where your car is registered. Well, there might be a reason, you know, why you're registering the car somewhere other than your registration, where where you live. Like you're trying to, I don't know, you're trying to beat a wheel tax, for example. So your parents live in Washington County. You register your car out there so you don't have to pay the wheel tax in Milwaukee County. Okay, but you're still living in Milwaukee County. So there might be a reason, but the fact is the most you know, most times when people change the registration on their cars with the DMV, it's because they have moved. So what happens is this group, this this clearinghouse, the Electronic Registration Information Center, sends sends information to, in this case, it's the Election Commission. And they say, okay, these are all the names of people that we think may have moved. Because maybe it's a forwarding address, maybe it's, again, change of auto registration, whatever. So then what happens is the Elections Commission is supposed to send out postcards to the former address, the address where, you know, people are registered to vote. And the postcards say, we have information that suggests that you have moved. All right. 
if you have not moved, send this card back. Otherwise, state law says you're supposed to be removed from the voting rolls if you don't send the card back in 30 days. That's that's the way the law is supposed to work. You have 30 days to respond. If you don't respond, the assumption is you have, in fact, moved. So you get removed from the voting rolls. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily that you can't vote. Keep in mind, in Wisconsin, we have same-day registration. So if you were improperly removed from the voters' rolls, you didn't respond to the postcard, you show up to vote. They say, hey, you're, you're not on the, the list, you've been removed or whatever. Well, you, you'd always have the chance to, you know, to go over to a different table and you might have to go home and get more information and re-register because you've got same-day registration, but it's definitely another hoop that you have to jump through. But you, you could still vote because you could always re-register because, like I say, we've got same-day registration. All right, so here's what happens. They send out the postcards, right? And they don't get responses from a, a relatively large number of of people. The letters go to about 7% of the state's 3.3 million registered voters. Well, the Elections Commission has decided, okay, we if we don't get postcards back, we're not going to take the names off the list like I think state law requires. Instead, we're going to wait until after the next presidential election to do that. We're not going to take it off in 30 days. Now, the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty has filed a lawsuit that, at least in my opinion, has a lot of merit. It says, hey, the law is pretty clear here that you send out these postcards. You don't get a response back within 30 days. Boom, the names are supposed to be removed. The Elections Commission doesn't want to do that because they don't want to make it more difficult for people to vote. I think, and this is just my opinion, the law is pretty clear, and I think the Elections Commission is not following the law. So I think there's merit to the lawsuit. But that's not what I want to talk about. I think there is merit to the lawsuit. But I have some issues with the law. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand that people can, you show up to vote, you know, you're told you're not on the list. I understand you can go home and get a utility bill or or get something and and re-register. At the same time, I think there's lots of reasons why somebody might not return the, the, the postcard. Lots of reasons, including, hey, the postcard just got stuck in junk mail. Boom. I threw it out. I didn't see it or, or whatever. I guess I think the penalty is too harsh. By that, I mean, I, I think failing to respond to one postcard should not be a basis for being removed from the voters' rolls. I, I think that there should be more. Maybe it's multiple mailings over, you know, a 90-day period. But I I think this result is too harsh. The lawsuit, I think, is correct. I don't think the Elections Commission, the Elections Board, is following the law. And I don't think they should have the right to do it. I just think before we start removing people who are registered to vote at locations, I, I think that there should be more notice than one postcard that's not being returned. 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And and this got complicated because 
Um, in the last election, you know, what they found was they found that there were, oh, about 21,000 registrations. In Milwaukee alone, for example, through this process, they booted 44,000 voters off the rolls. And they went back and they later determined that almost half, 21,000, were removed in error. So that, that tells me that there is some flaw in the system. I understand and agree with the idea that you've got to keep the rolls current. I believe in that. I also believe that you have to have them as accurate as possible. To me, though, bouncing somebody because you didn't return one postcard, to me, I, I think that's too harsh a penalty. And, and maybe it's it's multiple. And, again, there's something wrong here. If you take 44,000 people who, who don't respond, and it turns out that 21,000 really were entitled to vote. Okay, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is not an issue with the lawsuit, which, again, I, I think, at least the way I read it, ha- has a lot of merit. It is a question with the process, though. Should we make it this easy to bounce people off the voting rolls? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Four one four seven nine nine one six two zero. Brandon Milwaukee. Hi, Brandon. Hey, how's it going? Good. What do you think? Okay, is this too harsh? I definitely think it's too harsh. Uh, uh, myself, I'm personally an uh, employee with the, like a postal service. Mm-hmm. So, you know, some of the employees, the carriers, sometimes they do misdeliver mail. So if there's only one postcard being sent out, and that particular day a carrier misdelivers the mail, right? Uh, you know, that's the only shot they had. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and I, I don't know about you, but this is the time of year when I go out to my mailbox every day. I, I've got all sorts of stuff. I've got I've got catalogs. I've got you know flyers that come, and it's all kind of mixed in together with the mail. I have to spend a lot of attention, kind of going through and kind of sorting out what is what I'm going to describe as the junk mail versus the letters. I can easily right. see why somebody, even if it's correctly delivered, why it just kind of wouldn't register on, and, and it just it ends up getting thrown out. Right, that's correct. People have uh, busy lives out here with work and everything. Yeah, so. I guess. No, thanks to call. I mean, see, and that's, I, I mean, taking somebody, and again, I, I understand that you can register the same day, but if for whatever reason you've been, I don't know, you've been voting at the same place for 10 years, and I, I don't know, maybe during the year you had your mail, you were going to be out of town or whatever, so you had your mail forwarded to your parents' house or, or whatever. I mean, like, all sorts of reasons like that. And then, you know, you, you show up on Election Day and they tell you, I'm, I'm sorry, sir, or I'm sorry, ma'am, you're, you're not registered. Uh, well, yeah, you could, you're not going to have a utility bill with you. You think you're registered. You've got your, you know, you've got your picture ID. Boom, you're set to go. Or, you know, maybe you're in a hurry and you're not going to stand in the line to re-register. I, I think... I, I think that there needs to be more than just one postcard. And again, I'm not – the, the law is what the law is. The State Elections Commission, in my opinion, is not following the law if they're not removing people in 30 days after the one postcard. I just think it's too harsh a thing. I think maybe there should have to be multiple mailings before they end up dropping you more of an attempt to give you notice. Because, again, I could easily see why people might not respond. And if you look at some of these numbers – 
Well, there, there's thousands and thousands of people last time around who were improperly removed from the rolls simply because they didn't respond to the, the postcard. Lewis on the south side, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yeah, hey, Jeff. Hi. Um, I, I'm going to disagree with you here. Okay. Uh, uh, you have zero proof that it's going to burden anyone. I'll give you uh, the assumption that, yes, some people will unfairly be knocked off. But if it happens to me, I go to vote, and they're like, well, you're not registered. I've uh, yeah. registered same day at least four times in my life because I've moved. Yep. And it wasn't a burden to me. Um, it's really not. You know, I would go as so far. Uh, we're way behind our technology with the elections. I would literally clear the voter roll every 10 years since we do a census mm-hmm. every 10 years. And that's uh, in, in combination with getting updated on our technology. We should be using fingerprints uh, to register to vote and to vote. Um, all this stuff is pretty simple. And just if you get right. knocked off, it's not, I don't think, as burdensome as some people are. Well, I mean, again, thanks for calling us. And again, I, I understand that you've got same day registration. So it, but, but that is, that, that are, those are extra hoops that you have to jump through. See, here, here's the bottom line. And this is from somebody who for a long time on this radio show has argued, you know, for the need for integrity of elections and things like that. The flip side is, though, you know, we, you, you don't want to punish people by taking them off the voter rolls. You don't want to make it more difficult if they really haven't done anything wrong. Now, I appreciate that it's fair to say, all right, you you have an an obligation, and maybe you're on to something. Maybe what we should say is that every... Every 10 years, you, you have to go back and you should have to go back and you should have to re-register. Just like, you know, we make people, you know, renew their driver's licenses. You have to go in person to the DMV every eight years and get your vision tested. I, I don't know. I have to think that through. But but maybe you can make that argument uh, again so you're constantly recrafting the, the voter rolls to make sure that they're as accurate as, as possible. So and, and I have no problem with the general concept because people move and they, they don't you know, I don't, I mean, I didn't, I didn't notify the, the voting people in Whitefish Bay that I had moved. I just have no intention of going back there and voting. And it's like, okay, I, I'm, I'm voting where I live now. So, so that's all, that's all well and good. But I think what has to happen is before you start bouncing people from the rolls, we have to make sure that number one, that that's accurate, that the people that are getting taken off the rolls are being taken off because they have in fact moved. And, Obviously, given the numbers of people, the thousands of people who were improperly removed, the system we're using right now to alert people about possible, you know, people who possibly moved, it's not a perfect system. You know, so it's not capturing everybody who's there. And I guess to me, it it is a big deal if you've got thousands and thousands of people who thought they were registered to vote when they show up on election day and they're suddenly told no you're you're not eligible it's confusing it's bothersome is it a huge hoop to jump through no you go home you get your utility bill you come back and you register but i don't think we should be taking people who are properly eligible to vote who haven't done anything that would really cause them to be removed from the rolls to bounce them you have to have a balancing and so that's why i say i I mean, I understand there's an extra expense in sending out a postcard, but but maybe you you give that person the second notice. You know, you you don't 
We don't shut off somebody's utilities or you don't shut off their phone service. You don't do these other things without giving them like more than one notice, maybe a second notice. That way, all right, at some point in time, you know, you do get to a point if somebody's not going to respond, boom, they're, they're gone. But Maybe a second notice or something like that. I have no issue with the lawsuit. It seems to me the State Elections Committee Commission is ignoring the law. I'm just saying that maybe, just maybe, we should relook at this law to make sure that the people we are bumping from the rolls really are the people that should be bumped from the rolls and that people have every opportunity, if they really are still living at their place, to just stand up and say, hey, I haven't moved Don't take me off the list. This is Jeff Wagner. When we come back, we're going to find out what John and Melissa have on their minds for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.